my bad. No, that's my no, bad. it's totally fine. I'm excited to try. I honestly oh, wasn't even thinking about it, and then I heard that on the FaceTime and was like, Ugh, dang it. <laughs> Not even there to defend you myself, but I could hear it in real time happening. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing he didn't send you the, the picture of my box with all oh, my I know, right? the snacks in there, right? You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. What is up, John Chi people? It is I, KJ, the... uh co-host of the podcast. I was about to say the dictator of the podcast, but obviously oh, that's not me. That's your boy Patrick, and Nathan is also <laughs> present. Hello, Johnchi people. I don't say peeps because uh, It is good to be back with you for another recording, another episode of the Johnchi Show. We have an interview with uh, Maki Doolittle that is so, so fantastic, but I just want to take a hot second um, and say, hey guys. How are you doing, fellow co-hosts? You doing okay? I feel like it's been a minute since we talked. Sure. Yeah, we haven't recorded an episode in a few weeks, I think. So that's good to good to see you guys' face. I know we've been all busy with all kinds of life things, but everything's good here. What about you, Patrick? Everything is also good here. <laughs> Besides your Besides knee, your which exploded. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I just got back from my bachelor party, uh, which was a whole lot of fun. And except for the second day, I stood up from a seated position and hurt my knee. And I just got back from the doctor and they said that I probably tore my meniscus in some way. And I have to take two weeks to heal, but it'll heal itself if that's what it is. And if not, <laughs> we'll talk about it when we uh, get to that point. Mm-hmm. But other than that, everything is great. I feel like I'm super busy with a whole lot of stuff. Uh, but yeah, how are you doing? Kendrick? Or your meniscus getting up out of your seat. At least that's the story you're going with, right? I mean, that's the story <laughs> I'm going to go Dude, with. Dude, so, uh, one time, so I've torn my ACL twice, uh, and one of my physical therapists, uh, the first time I asked him, like, what was the craziest ACL terror story you've ever heard? And, uh, he was like, two office buddies were hanging out, um, and one of them pushed the little lever to, like, drop somebody's chair, like, adjust their height. And the way that the person who was sitting in the chair was sitting when he pushed the lever and the chair dropped, it tore his ACL. So crazier wow. things have happened. Uh, so it's definitely believable to me that you just stood up and your meniscus was like, nope, not today. So yeah, it's <laughs> how did you tear your ACL? How did you tear your ACL one of the times, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, well, the first time I was... Um, as a part of my touring worship team for the summer, uh, we were going to different summer camps and playing, uh, you know, worship gigs and then also like camp counselors or whatever. So we were playing games and this game was very dumb. It was just tackle each other, but like tag. Uh, yeah. So church camp, am I right? Uh, anyways, so one camper had grabbed onto me and then another had grabbed onto my leg and I was trying to like spin out of it. And upon doing that, uh, my knee popped and, I heard it and it was loud. And but then other people were like across the field, like, hey, uh, we heard a large pop. Are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I'm surprised you heard that, but yeah, I, I think so. And then I continued to like it was like the middle of the camp. And so we were out in like Iowa or so I don't know, somewhere um just out in the middle of nowhere. And then 
finished the camp and I was like playing beach volleyball and stuff. And then I still had like the rest of the tour to go. It was a whole thing. So I didn't even get it fixed until six months later. And then six months after that, yeah. And then six months after that, I tore it again. So yeah, that was rough. Interesting. This knee that I hurt, I've hurt before uh, in high school. I was playing football and a person put his helmet on the outside of my knee and tore my my MCL, my PCL and part of my meniscus. Um, and it was fun. Well, it wasn't fun, but it sucked. <laughs> I was running down the running down the sideline was a punt return, trying to get out of bounds and get smashed. And on the film, you can hear the person filming going, "Why is he running so slow? Why is he running so slow?" And uh, I guess the coaches thought that I had just given up on the play. No, I was severely I was severely injured. Oh, Yikes. <laughs> And yeah, so that was my not as terrible as some people. You guys are hardcore. You get injured and you keep on playing and going. I'm like, I get a hangnail, I'm out. So <laughs> a hangnail. Yeah, I, I, uh, I. The only thing I've ever tore is my calf muscle during a, a tennis Ooh, tournament. That sounds, that sounds terrible. so bad. And the same thing, it it popped and you heard it, and I'm like. I instantly knew. I was like, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> I'm Yikes. <done." laughs> like, this doesn't hurt right now, but I know it's going to hurt. So I think, uh, I think, I think I need to forfeit. <laughs> so, wow. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. Yeah, that's it, wild. It, yeah, it does. The only cool. time I've ever torn a muscle and, and yeah, I, I knew because it was something I'd never felt before or heard before even. So stretching, All right. stretching did not help. Well, this has been gruesome sports stories with the John Cheat boys. Uh, apropos of nothing, we're going to transition to our fantastic interview with Maki Doolittle, who uh, has just, I mean, a unique story among unique stories. And uh, we're really grateful for her for coming on and, and sharing uh, her experience as uh, an adoptee. Um, I think it adds a lot of nuance to a really hard conversation, um, really paints a, a broader picture for um just kind of all of the discussion around uh, adoption. Um, So yeah, can't wait for you guys to hear it. So let's roll that tape. Roll it. I never remember how to, oh yeah, okay. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. Um, We are here with Maki Doolittle. Maki, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing? I'm really good. How are you guys? Great. I'm doing acceptably. (laughs) <laughs> happy i have air conditioning that's all i know that's were you out of air conditioning <laughs> no but i just when oh, i'm just outside, generally grateful you yeah, <laughs> i'm just grateful for the invention of air conditioning i just want to thank every the time person who invented outside, air conditioning oh, yeah <laughs> i'm dying yeah you were out of air conditioning for a while patrick i remember it, yeah for it, one it week was we recorded one show when that Ooh. was happening it sucks well how hot is it in denver been right around the 95 to 100 range which you know, okay it's enough to make you sweat <laughs> nice yeah yeah and you're out in uh in portland you said yeah how's it out there northwest pretty cool it's it's really nice it's perfect it's in the 80s and then by the evening when you go out it's like in the nice like 70s like high 70s so it's perfect wow. what a dream life <laughs> Hey, Portland's where young people come to retire. Right? I like that. <laughs> I have a few friends who have. That's why I live in Indiana still, <laughs> not retiring. Nuts. All right. Well, uh, Maki, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're going to kick off this interview the way that we kick off all of our interviews um, and ask you to tell us your adoption story uh, in as much detail or as little detail as you would like. Ready, go. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw me to the wolves. It's like a okay. drum roll. Uh, 
I mean, how much time do we have? <laughs> Girl, it's your story. You tell it like how you want. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, well, let's see. I uh, was adopted pretty, I was pretty old when I was adopted. I was about four and a half. And I was out of an orphanage in Busan. And um, my transcript reads like pretty much everybody else's for that time frame. A lot of people in the 80s, I feel like, had the same story, which is super like shady, I feel like. Like it's questionable at best. But um, I was abandoned at a um, fire station and then taken by the police to the orphanage. And so, um, but I have memories from when I was really, really little, like in the crib. Like I remember this girl would come and pick me up out of my crib every day. And it was you know, they say, they talk so much about how important it is that kids from a certain, that developmental age that you be held and hugged and touched. And so she did that for a little bit. And then this little boy, this, who was younger than me, who was a baby, uh, was brought into the orphanage and she stopped picking me up and only picked him up. And so I think I have some issues around that. (laughs) Obviously we all do. Um, But so I have memories as far back as that. And just, playing in the courtyard and um it's it's so funny i don't know if you guys do this but i've gone back and read through my um charts and like all the information basically that you come with it's kind of like a school transcript right like how Mm -hmm. you did it with eating and sleeping and playing with other kids i was a little brat i just (laughs) had other kids i didn't have any friends i had one friend and the only reason we were friends was because we kicked each other that's how I played. love child relationships. <laughs> That's so funny to me. <laughs> I know. We kicked right? each other and then we were besties. <laughs> I pushed yeah. her off the swing set and then we were besties. Exactly. <laughs> how we express so, emotion. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's how we show love. Hello. Um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So, um, and then what's really funny is that I, so I have those memories from the orphanage, but then I have zero memories of doing that transatlantic flight from South Korea to, I think I landed in like, gosh, I think like Michigan or something. And that's where my parents had drove to. And so I came with like a, um, I flew with like a, um, I forgot what they, they call them, but like a chaperone or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And she was bringing another little boy. <laughs> <You're> the <laughs> yes. worst. <laughs> yes. No, that's perfect. That's exactly how that's I, like, I, I came to be. Um, <laughs> I was dropped off by a stork in Michigan. So uh, and then my parents met me there and there's all these pictures and I had this, I had really dry lips. So I had this huge piece of like dry skin hanging off my lip that nobody apparently took care of. They're just like, Oh, cool. This kid looks like she's from a refugee camp. It's cool. She's about to be adopted, whatever. And my parents actually thought that I had like a cleft lip. And so mm. they had seen pictures of me. They're like, Oh, she's cute. You know, like, yeah, that's perfect. And they're like, okay, cleft lip. We can deal with this. Like, Cool. And then it just turned out to be this piece of skin hanging from my <laughs> lip. But anyways, <laughs> um, really made a good first impression there. But um, I have no memory of that at all, which is really funny. And then, of course, my mem- memories picked up after the fact, like once I was with my parents in, in Oregon and being surrounded by all these people I didn't know. And, you know, everybody's obviously very excited. And um, so my adoptive parents, it's a little untraditional than most adoptees. My adoptive mom is actually Japanese and my dad, adoptive dad is Caucasian. And so um, 
when people looked at our family, it, it made sense. Like there was no like, oh, are you adopted? So it was never a conversation that I had with people really. I, of course, my parents were really open about the whole experience and who I was and trying to maintain that Korean identity. And obviously being Japanese, like um, I actually am ethnically Korean and Japanese. So being raised in that culture and then having that identity was never like, I didn't have to overcome a lot of stuff that I feel like a lot of other adoptees have had to deal with. And so that's a whole nother area that I love hearing stories from other folks because it's like, you know, having to seek that out, having to grow up in like a white universe and then to go out and seek out your identity and learn everything from like all starting all over. And I kind of had that always, um, growing up, which I'm super grateful for. But at the same time, it was also just like, I didn't talk about it, you know, and I didn't really come to terms with it. And I just let make people make assumptions. And so it's only actually been recently that I've been talking about it more. And because of Clubhouse, actually, like <laughs> through Katie and everybody has allowed me to feel safe and have that conversation with people and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm adopted and um, I'm from South Korea. And you know, all this stuff. So, yeah, that's really cool. Thank you so much for, for sharing that part of your story. I think it's, it's always interesting when, um, when I have the privilege of meeting other Asian adoptees who were raised by, um, Asian parents. Um, so I'm curious, first off, what generation American is your mom? She is third generation actually. So that's an interesting story in of itself. Um, my great grandfather immigrated from Japan, came to the U S, um, worked on the railroads with, uh, a whole chain gang of black men and he was Japanese and he was about to get kicked off, um, the chain gang. Cause he couldn't lift the, uh, the railroad ties above his head. And so the other guys were like, okay, Frank, you just get in between us. We'll lift it. You hang on and just hang there. Like let your feet dangle. <laughs> You're cool. We got you. That's amazing. <laughs> That's I mean, really talking about right? solidarity, right? Yeah, like, we'll make this harder on ourselves. For the last. You. To protect you. That's amazing. Yeah. They did. They totally protected him and kept his job, kept like that job security for him. That's so awesome. that was very cool. But yeah, so my grandfather moved here and then he brought his wife over. And they had five kids, my grandma being the oldest. And then um, of course my mom. Was, and they were all born in Idaho, randomly enough. So, yeah. So she's third third generation. That's cool. And then um, you mentioned that you were ethnically Korean and Japanese. Does that mean that you took a DNA test? And then do you know your percentages? Like, are you like pretty like <laughs> somewhere in the middle? Or are you like, no, I'm like mostly Korean and with like a, a hint of Japanese? Yeah, I'm like a LaCroix. I'm like sparkling water <laughs> with a hint of lemon. Yeah, like they sprinkled some some soy sauce onto my mom's tummy and... <laughs> That's how that exactly. works, right? Exactly. Yeah, a little seaweed, that, a little yeah, that umami flavor. <laughs> the foodie yeah. yeah. It's like the, the rice, the rice ball with the foodie cake sprinkled on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this one needs a little of this flavor. <laughs> just a, just a tinge more. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so. so that's interesting. So I'm curious then, like, what was it like growing up? And I guess was there much um, talk in your family about Asian American history and, uh, and, or like Korea Japanese relations? Uh, not so much about the Korea Japanese relations, but, um, my mom, my parents are a little older, which is why they adopted. And, um, I grew up like they, they fought through the sixties for, you know, equality to be seen. My one, my godmother is Martha Cho, who was one of the first Asian American city council women in Seattle, another auntie, another, 
auntie of my mine is um, she was one of the lawyers for the Minyasui case during World War II, post World War II, when they were seeking reparations. And my parents are activists, so I grew up wow. like, in this entirely <laughs> like different in world. It. Yeah, yeah, like I. Oh my goodness. I mean, um, I'm going back to the University of Oregon this fall for my third degree in ethnic studies and my parents' generation, my mom's generation and all of those Asian American women paved that way for there to be an ethnic studies at University of Oregon specifically. Like they, you know, they fought for that. And so I almost feel like I owe it to them to, to be part of that program and, you know, take a, take hold of the reins and go forward with that. That's really cool. So what, um, Having, I guess, like three different perspectives, and not that you necessarily would have been super aware of this growing up, um, just while you were like trying to figure out a new country and like learn a new language and all those things. But um, yeah, I guess what what was the dynamic uh, of those conversations earlier in your life about what it means to be um, an Asian American woman? And then um, like, how has that changed in the past, I guess, five years and the way that you think about it, or has it changed in the way that you think about it? Because I think one of the things that that we explore on our show is uh, for the three of us, we were transracially adopted to just white people. (laughs) And so um, those conversations didn't exist. And I'm curious, um, and I know that you have a a pretty unique perspective in that, like, not only is your mom Asian American, but was an activist that is an activist, right? I'm assume, I assume she's still doing things. Yeah. Um, you know, yes. and so, yes. so I think that those conversations in and of themselves are unique, but while I feel like my two communities, both the, uh, Asian adoptees and just Asian Americans are like scrambling around trying to figure out like, how do we mobilize? How do we do all the, you know, um, I'm just curious kind of what your history with those conversations were and how that informs what you do. Well, we'll get to this next part, um, in a second, but, um, So yeah, what was, I guess, what were those conversations like? And I think especially too, like, what was like, I don't know, like, did you ever get the sense that your dad was like, the, should I say anything here? Or just be like, yeah, you go, you know, I mean, yeah, just what was, what was some of those conversations like? Yeah, that's a really great question. And again, I have to acknowledge all of the Asian American adoptees that were adopted into white families. I mean, you guys are so brave and you guys have been overcome so much more than I can even imagine. And I just kudos to you guys. Um, but yeah, no, my mom really, my parents really had those open conversations with me as a kid about my identity and being proud of being Asian. And, you know, I kind of was in this, the reverse bubble of everybody else. I was in this bubble of, you know, the school that I attended was literally deemed like designated with a plaque, a racism free zone, like uh, the culture, the, the curriculum that my parents, that my parents, my mom was a teacher and uh, I was in her school and uh, that's a whole nother story, but <laughs> seven years of being in the same building, I tell you guys, it was just, just anyways. Fantastic, um, fantastic yes. is the word that yeah. she was looking for. That was, yes, thank you, thank you. I needed, I needed that little help. Um, no, but uh, so the, the school we were in was a racism freeze on the curriculum that they built around was based on that. And so I was very, very lucky. And But it truly was like this reverse bubble of multiculturalism embracing everybody, um, doing, you know, parades based on it. Like, you know, just that was, I was, my life was inundated with that concept. And so I never had any issues with that identity. I think for me growing up, it was like, you know, I, the difference, and and I'll put it this way, the difference of being an Asian woman or a young Asian person versus AZN, 
I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody. My mom, my mom pointed it out to me when I was a teenager, and I didn't get it then. But after, since obviously, since I, I understand the difference, but it was like you know, all I wanted to do was wear platform shoes and crop tops and freaking go drag racing and like you know mm-hmm. uh, get into trouble and um, not really understanding that identity. And obviously, in the you know, as I've gotten older and uh, you know, um, as an adult, I've definitely embraced my position and again picking up where i left off with the whole university of oregon and the ethnic studies and the the work that the previous generations have done for us to be able to get here especially asian women and to be taken seriously and to not be fetishized and to be put into this you know this classification of objectification right and as a young person i thought that meant i was cool i thought that when guys would talk to me in other languages or they would be like you know, oh, oh my gosh, I love Asian women. I love Asian food, like blah, blah, blah. I thought that was like a, um, a compliment. And I was like, cool. I'm a cool kid. Cause I was not a cool kid in high school. Um, <laughs> you're like taking what but, I can get. All right. <laughs> yeah. Give, I'll take it. Yeah. It comes with a free drink. Sweet. Okay. So, um, you know, I didn't have that identity necessarily grounded, even though that's how I was raised as an adult man, you know, just maneuvering through life it was just fun. And it was just like that, like that whole Lucy Liu, like, you know, uh, sexy Asian identity was what I was carrying with me. And obviously I've grown out of that. Thank goodness. And, um, yeah, I think it's our responsibility and my responsibility to, to go forward and really, um, put in the work to help future generations to achieve whatever is possible. Yeah, definitely. How much um, of uh, Korean culture were you raised with? I, I mean, with your parents, your mom being Japanese, um, my wife is actually half Japanese, half Chinese, but uh, they raised her mostly on a Japanese um, culture and food and mentality and things like that. So they they pushed that side of things. I'm curious if your mom and dad being, you know, activists and just being aware of, of certain things, if they, you know... Um, leaned a little more toward Korean as well and not just a general like Asian American, um, you know, lump all Asians into one category. My mom tried to introduce me to the Korean community when I was first adopted and the reception that I got was, was horrifying. It was really, you know, the Japanese, the Korean ladies of our community, um, were really mean and they, because I was adopted and they were like, you know, you should be ashamed and your mother should be, your birth mother should be ashamed and, you, I feel sorry for you. And my mom was like, well, if that's how it's going to be. We're just going to go ahead and skip all of that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was raised with a predominantly Japanese, um, traditions like, you know, do the Obonodori festival in July. Cool. And I grew up playing the taiko drums and nice. stuff like that. But, um, I know that one. It, yeah, yeah. I don't know many Japanese <laughs> things, but I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I didn't, and it, I don't necessarily feel like I missed out. I definitely was raised with Korean food because there was a plethora of Korean restaurants, oddly enough, in Eugene, uh, where I grew up in Oregon. And Shout so, um, yeah, uh, definitely got. You know, I mean, kimchi runs in my veins. Like if you <laughs> cut me open, you cut me open, I just it's not. Yeah, kimchi. it's a it's a weird like. There's like it's chunky and there's like lettuce <laughs> coming out of me. It's not just it's not just fluids. Yeah. It's a whole thing. The doctors yeah. are so confused. Yeah. I'm like, what is happening? Why is cabbage falling out of your arm? <laughs> <laughs> so, I was having kimchi tonight, and now I'm second-guessing myself. <laughs> Thank you for still that. Have it. You're welcome. You'll still leave it. <laughs> yeah, you'll still have it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I was curious. So 
Um, you mentioned up top that uh, your adopted identity is something that you've recently started talking about. Um, what spurred that initial, like, oh, this is something I need to talk about. This is an identity that I need to wrestle with. Uh, well, for me, I think I've spent the past year um, with COVID and everything sort of realigning myself in all aspects, physically, mentally, taking care of my mental health. And obviously a huge part of that for me is my adoptive identity. And so, um, and being, and then having that platform and that safe space, like I said, of clubhouse to be able to reach out to other cats and to be able to open, speak openly and safely is like, that was, that's, that was great. It was a great opportunity. So. So just the COVID being what it was, it was just like, no, just, this is a Good part time. of me that I haven't explored. Yeah. But having like the, the space to do it was clubhouse and obviously everybody was on clubhouse during COVID cause that's, there was nothing else to do. Um, so I feel like that definitely opened some doors. I've randomly had random like conversations with other folks that I've met in the last few years that were adopted, not necessarily Korean adoptees, but adopted and being able to have real like heart to heart conversations about that whole process. So, um, but yeah, before it just never was really on my radar. I just was happily going through life, just like whatever as me and clubhouse that was adoptee focused that you were like, oh, this is interesting and like really caught your eye or was there like whatever they were maybe talking about in that uh, in that conversation? Because I always think that it's interesting, especially on clubhouse how adoptees kind of find the space either they found it through somebody else has said hey we're all on this app or they stumble upon a conversation where they see the uh, like it's not just adopted but it says adoptees like speaking about something and they come in and they're just like yeah oh i found this room because it just like showed up in my feed and i had never heard anybody talk about it like that before uh and like here's my story and then they share. So I was just wondering for you, if you remembered like what that first conversation was that really made you like perk up and go, Oh, this is a cut. This, this seems like something I could get, get behind or get into. I didn't actually go into any of the, the CAD rooms. I'd never actually um, participated in that. I was actually in other Asian American rooms that I, um, from specific people talking to them, having that conversation. Um, Matt Delator was one of the people I spoke to initially regarding, and then I followed the groups and stuff, but it, I think it was that conversation with him that I was like, oh, wait, there's this whole other space that I could explore and actually talk to people and be safe. Um, but, and then having a conversation with Katie, Katie, uh, Katie, Gagel, name, but Katie, the cat, Katie the cat, as well as Matt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I had an amazing conversation with her the other night and I had never talked to her personally. I'd never really interacted with her actually. And I'd had this huge conversation with my mom uh, about, so I recently got invited to, um, join the JACL, uh, the, the board of JACL here in Oregon and Portland. What does CL stand for? It's the Japanese American citizens league. So they have been formed ever since, ever since post-World War II. It's one of the oldest organizations. And, um, I had this very weird conversation with my mom about it because I was excited. I was like, this is amazing. This is a great opportunity. And she was like, you know, um, she was worried. And I think for her, from her generation, her fear, the way she projects that fear is kind of, it comes across angry. And so I was like, why are you yelling at me? Why are you mad? This is a good thing. 
but it, it was just an interesting conversation in which brought up a lot of other like sort of identity feelings like that I needed to work through. And I had a great conversation with Katie about it just because ethnically I am Korean. I'm predominantly Korean, a little bit of Japanese, but you know, in the sense we're all just, that's who we are. There's no splicing it into numbers and halves and quarters and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, it made me feel it kind of validated something for me when I found out that that little part of me was Japanese because I, that meant I belonged, that I meant that I actually was part, really part of, I could really say I'm part of this community. And for my mom, it was a whole nother thing. She was just like, that doesn't mean shit. You are who you are. Like, it doesn't mean anything. We still love you. There doesn't, you know, there's no numbers. And we had this whole, whole argument about it. And so having that conversation with somebody like Katie was really um, helpful and really, really nice. So that was a really long way of answering your question. Sorry. No, I think that was perfect because I mean, at the end of the day, I think that's been the beautiful thing for me. Uh, and what I found in the community is not only finding a group of people to have this conversation with, but really getting down into intimate, like one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. Yeah. Uh, because this is like heavy stuff. This is heavy stuff. And it can be a lot to share all of this not only in front of like on your social media page, you know, uh, but it, to like literally use your own mouth to say these words out loud <laughs> and people's ears are literally hearing that in real time uh, because a lot yeah. of it is processing like you're processing this. And so to have a bunch of people that could judge you uh, in a potentially not great way is a whole lot. And so to be able to do that with one person um and to know that in that one-on-one -on -one conversation that this is going to be a safe space for me, and even if they if they potentially may feel unsafe, it's like, I think it's almost an implicit knowing that you can step away. Like, I feel like we as adoptees, especially in those conversations, are almost like unsubconsciously experts at barrier creation. So like when we're ready to be like, throw the wall up, it's like, well, okay, I'm here for you, but... I can't go, I can't broach that bridge. So yeah, I think I just, yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. Especially with people in clubhouse too. I mean, these are people we don't know. We've a lot of times we've never met any of them. So, you know, to tell stories about our past and, and the way we were raised and things like that with friends or, or other family members is one thing, but going on a public forum is, is tough and not everybody is comfortable with doing that yet. And so, right. Cause it's a form of putting yourself out there and that's always a scary mm -hmm. thing. So, yeah. yeah. So we, and there's weirdos like me it. who have profile pictures that are themselves, <laughs> yeah. but with mustaches. So it's weird. So you never is know who's out there with, with the mustache. It yeah. is still incognito. Yep. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah. Even though, it's, uh, even though it's very clearly me with a very yeah, CGI mustache. mustache. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like, uh, you know, when, when Superman's wearing his glasses, you're like, nobody knows it's him. Oh, my God. It looks like Henry Cavill. perfect disguise. It looks like Henry Cavill Superman in the uh, Joss Whedon Justice League, but reverse. It's like the CGI mustache <laughs> on and not off. Patrick's <laughs> alter ego, Yahoo Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but actually. His evil twin. Actually, you uh -huh. might have just made a new character. Uh -huh. All right. <laughs> All right. We'll come back to that later. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I've just been thinking, I don't remember where, I don't know if I was revisiting something or, or what, but um, just the the fact that some of us are internal processors and some of us are external processors. And I think that um, literally like what I'm doing right now is external processing, but um, I am an internal processor. Uh, and so, oh, I was listening to like my wife's work from home, like how to have a hard conversation at work slash 
good meetings. I don't know. One of those HR trainings, which are like, we were both kind of rolling our eyes at, but all right. Shouts out to that HR training. Um, what I, what I think is so interesting is like Clubhouse provides a space, a safe space for adoptees who often just have the feelings and don't have the language to begin to find that language. Because I think what we find is, you know, you try to talk to people who love you, people who have traditionally represented a safe space, like family oftentimes, um, about what you're feeling and you don't have the language and you have enough relational history with these people that I think it just creates a, a maelstrom of unfortunate events, you know, that makes it... Uh, just a, a hard conversation to have and emotions run high and all those things. And then being able to, whether it's through clubhouse and you're using your voice or Instagram and you're using your words, uh, you know, but through your fingies, um, you like, yeah, your, your finger, your fingies. No, I got you. That type of external like processing helps. It's a Tom Haverford slash part oh. shout out. Um, yeah. Oh no, my fingies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that that type of external processing is important, but like for me as an internal processor, I've really stepped away from those things because like, I want to like step back and then think about them and then come back to the group and be like, Hey group, this is what I found on my mental sojourning through my identity worlds, you know? Um, so yeah, I just think that defining those, those spaces and, and knowing how you are, know, knowing who you are as a person and how, what you need is important. Um, you know, so I think that, I just think that we talk a lot about these things, whether it's Clubhouse or Instagram or, you know, what other, whatever community, even if it's, you know, the John T Show Facebook group, that there are communities. But if you are not an external processor, that there's also no pressure for you to go and try to be one of those people um, that I think wrestling with identity is, is hard and, and that uh, can dredge up a lot of feelings. So um, I'm going to take a small pivot here. Um, and, and go to uh, something that you filled out in your form. So one of the things that we ask um, people who come on the show is, um, is there a particular moment or memory uh, related to um, your story that you want to talk about on the show? Um, and I know that you have uh, have written, like, this is, this is my thing, so, um, and I don't want to get into it because I don't even really know... Um, what the proper entry into this is. Um, so again, it's your story. I'm going to let you tell it. So Maki, hit us with it. Yeah, this is uh, this is a big one for me. Um, there's not a lot of people, there's not anybody that I've actually run into within these circles that have had this experience um, that I know of. Um, but I, you know, I was 18 years old. I was trying to find myself. I don't know. I, you know, I mean, as we all are at 18 <laughs> running around trying to do all the things at once cause FOMO. And so, um, you know, I was very lost as a young person at that time. And I was partying a lot and I got pregnant. I was 18, not ideal. Um, and it was kind of a crazy thing because, uh, when I found out initially, I was not, I didn't have the classic reaction. I wasn't upset. I wasn't scared. I wasn't worried. It was more just like, it was kind of like I was in awe. Like, you know, it, it, that sounds weird, but when you know your own body so well, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I have this like life inside of me. That's, that's kind of cool. Um, but then reality obviously hit very quickly. And so having that conversation with my parents, you know, they, they didn't freak out, but they were just like, okay, well, um, we'll just take this a step out of, at a time. And I was, 
you know, planning, I was in my head, I was like, okay, it's, it's, you know, in your head, you don't ever think that you're going to have multiple babies inside you. You just like just one. And I was planning to keep the baby. And then I went to an ultrasound and they kept sending me up downstairs, downstairs, upstairs, downstairs to get all these tests done. And, um, then they told me that I was having twins and I was like, wow, that's, that's, wow. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And so I told my mom and my mom got so mad. And it was funny because that was the mad I was expecting, like initially when I told her I was pregnant and she was like, fine. Then I told her it was twins and she just flipped out and was just like, now you're not just doing this to one baby, it's two babies. And I'm like, can we go back to how cool that there's two of them in me? Like, you know, <laughs> still in awe of the miracle just, of life yes. in your body. Yeah. And you're, you're like, wait, wait, mom, mom, hold on. I got to just revel in my, I'm feeling myself right now. <laughs> yeah, Let's just revel together. Let's revel yeah. together. And so, but she was really upset, obviously, you know, she was scared again, that whole fear thing comes through for her as anger. And so presence as anger. Um, and so is there an, you know, immediate decision to, to like take charge and say, okay, we're going to do, we're going to explore open adoption. I didn't really understand what that meant at that time. And we met with counselors and I looked through tons of books with families, pictures of couples that wanted to be parents and their whole bios. And it was basically this flip book of like potential parents in the state of Oregon. And it didn't explain where they were or anything just to help them with anonymity. But, um, I, first of all, it's a weird feeling to go through like this, like book of people that are trying to become parents and like pick your favorites and like who you want to be the parents of your, your kids. Like, yeah. you're like, Oh, mm-hmm. Steven Ronda. Seems nice. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's, it's such a weird, like, Oh, you get to be parents. Today. Not you though. No, 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 definitely not you. Mm-hmm. Um, See, feeling that Oprah power. Yeah. <laughs> you get a baby. You get a baby. <laughs> you get a baby. <laughs> Everybody look into your seats. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> Everyone's taking up a baby today. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was kind of crazy in that aspect. And what I what I wanted to have in for the kids was um to make sure that they had that same Asian identity that I did. And so I found a couple. There was a Japanese dad and a white mom. I was like, okay, that's perfect, you know. And um they happened to live in Eugene where I lived, but on top of that, they lived not not shitting you guys. They lived three blocks down the street from me where I was living at that time. The coincidence was crazy. I thought you were about to say that it was actually your parents and they just decided to (laughs) adopt your parents. They forgot to take the profile. You're like, wait a minute, I'm siblings with my children. (laughs) It's a whole Oedipus complex. Oh my God. Like Stephen Ronda. What? No. (laughs) (laughs) Worse Stephen Ronda. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Where'd you get that Mission Impossible mask? (laughs) Oh my gosh, that would be <laughs> insane. That, be that would be wild. Definitely. That it's would be telenovela level. That, so yes, opera. that would be a story. Yeah. 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 Um, you would be on Maury right now and not this yeah. show, I think, if that were the case. <laughs> your kids would be your your new your siblings. siblings. Yeah. Yeah. That wild. yeah. That's that's uh, that's a trip. That's a lot to process. That's some psychol- <laughs> that's like some therapy, years of therapy oh, yeah. for that's sure. Deep, deep Oedipus. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, unfortunately they did not adopt my kids. Um, this other couple did and they, you know, it was everything that I thought that it was supposed to be. And it was just a whole crazy experience. And so it's just the identity of being an adoptee and then 
that honestly, if I can say it, that low key guilt of doing an adoption, even though it was the best thing for the situation, for me, for them, for everybody, it was, a, it was, it was an ideal situation. You can't help, but still feel that guilt. Like now I put these two people into a situation that I had been in and it wasn't a good feeling, you know? And, um, I've, it, it makes me super emotional because it's like, you know, um, like I did something wrong and I didn't, you know, but it's, it's definitely still that. And it, I would love to talk to somebody else that has had that experience. Cause there's not a lot of people that have had their experience. And I think there's all already, I don't know if any of you have kids, but I feel like there's already that sort of like, when you have your own kids as an adoptee, it changes things for you. There's a shift. There's, the, there's either like a healing that happens or like, there's something that happens when you have your own kid as an adoptee. Right. And then for me to just turn that into part two of my adoption story, right. Of, of adopting them out. Um, but yeah, I think that if there, honestly, if there was anybody out there that has had that situation, I would love to talk to them. I'd love to be supportive. I'd love to be there for them as well. Cause I know exactly what that feels like. So, but it's kind of, um, it's a unique part. It's a unique twist in the adoption story that a lot of people have. And I felt like it was just something I wanted to connect and tell, share with people. So. Yeah, we appreciate sharing the story. I, <clears throat> I have not heard of any other adoptees adopting out their kids. Um, we did have a guest, Jennifer, who uh, is an adoptee, adopted her kids from Korea. Um, so I and I oh, know wow. some other. So I know other, and there's a couple other families that I've met recently that have also, as adoptees, adopted kids from Korea. Um, and so wow. in a way it's like, that's yeah, very it's, a, cool. it's, a, it's an opposite kind of flip to, to your story, but it's still, I feel in a, in a similar uh, realm or it's closer than, than mine. My, I'm the only one out of three of us who have kids. I have three kids. And one of the okay. things for me was uh, a big thing about having my own kids in, in the beginning. And uh, we actually had to go, to go through IVF to, to have our first child. And, uh, Oh the wow! Sec the second, and, the second and third came surprisingly, but it was <laughs> and then took they the, took up. the first IVF to, to kickstart everything. They just wouldn't stop coming. Yeah. <laughs> and now we have three. But yeah, so um, but yeah, the I mean, we did look into adoption too. So. Okay, yeah. I the funny part of all of this too is that later on um, in my early twenties, I actually did. I got reached out back on MySpace. I'm <laughs> stating myself, but back on MySpace, I got approached by uh, an egg donation company out of LA. And they did like a whole, like, you know, I submitted my pictures and everything and did like all the tests and stuff. And I was on their website for like a year. And then uh, exactly at a year, they called me and had said there was a couple in Portland. And I was living in Utah at this time. So I'm from Eugene, Oregon, moved to Utah. And they called me and said there was a couple out of Portland that was looking for a donor. And they picked me because the wife was Asian and the husband was white. And um, so I flew to Portland and donated my eggs and they had twins. So what you guys all do out there in your early 20s about propagating Ooh. the earth and like really getting your, your yourselves out there. That's what I did. Wow. I've got two sets of twins out there. So. You are a twin factory. You know, it is Very wild. Interesting. But it's crazy That's because true. that was a lot more obviously like, you know, I did the process. I'm very removed right. from it. I don't, you know, and so, but it's trippy because I moved back to Portland. And when I go out in the street and I see like an 11 year old set of twins, I'm like, 
Knappy. <laughs> Knappy. Yeah. Interesting. And they're soft. Are those are those mine? Did I like lower you you dibs on them? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are you my you kids? Kind of look like. <laughs> you? Well, hey, I know you don't then, know me, but are you my kids? Yeah. And then they're still doing the whole DNA I'm kit a DNA thing. Test. Like, yes, uh, they do the whole DNA kit thing, and they realize that you know, and their mom. It's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting day as well. So yeah. So that is what something. I wanted to follow up with you when you said that uh, you were looking into types of adoption and open adoption. Um, mm-hmm. The open adoption being that you would still be involved a little bit in the the children's lives. So yes. um, is that currently going on? Is that uh, uh, what happened? I am in touch with the girls, but I had twin girls um, and they are still were loosely a part of each other's lives, but it was the most unideal situation. Um, it quickly turned from this uh, this great idealistic situation of of being part of their lives and their parents communicating with me, and it was something changed as soon as and and it's two parts. It's the family going home, having their nuclear family and being a unit and nesting and doing everything they need to do to really um, be there for the twins. And then there was the agency that didn't come through on the back end post adoption with support with therapy with anything. And so it was years of, of them not following through on their end, their end of the contractual deal, as far as like visits, phone calls, pictures. Um, there was one year that I hadn't gotten any pictures. And then at the end of the year, they sent me this, this folder, this manila folder full, like these, like sheet size pieces of paper with four pictures printed on each paper and just like a thick stack of them. And I'm just like, and they're on paper. They're not even like photo paper, just paper, like off the printer. Like they just connected their digital camera, downloaded and printed every single one. And I was just like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, this is, it was very, it was incredibly rough. And on top of it, when the girls turned, they didn't tell them that they were adopted. They didn't, they never told the girls. And the mom at one point reached out to me and was like, I, I don't know how, you know, and I'm like, that's not my that's not for me to deal with. That's on you. You need to either reach out to the agency and get some assistance and help with that or something, but I can't help you. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And so they went to the doctor and I called them on their birthday to wish them a happy birthday. And and their mom had answered and was like, well, good news. They know they're adopted. Now we went to the doctor and the doctor was like, I don't know their, their, uh, history because they're adopted. And I'm like, she was like, so good news. They know now. Oh, what a terrible way to find out. <laughs> yeah. And I was shocked. I didn't even have words. I was just like appalled. And, you know, she was relieved because she didn't have to do it. Somehow it, it got inadvertently done for her. So um, that was kind of crazy. So they, I think they found out when they were like six or seven <laughs> that they were adopted. And their mom was like, yeah, you know, that pretty lady that comes to visit you. Yeah. She's your, your birth mother. So um that was an interesting experience uh, in of itself, but it was very unideal. The whole situation was um, extremely frustrating. It's something that I've talked to the counselors um, at the agency uh, post adoption, and they've been just like completely appalled because like every story they've had has been successful. And then this is the one, of course, that was like the anomaly that was like, we don't know what happened. So, but we are in each other's lives. Uh, they're 19. <laughs> it's crazy. I haven't, 19 year olds, but they, um, are very successful. They're both in their first year, completing their first year of college. So, yay. That's awesome. Great. Wow. So, 
Yeah, that is, that's yeah. wild. I know. So it's kind of like, not that anything is outside of the scope of the show because it's literally who, like when people come on the show, it's their story to tell. And so that's whatever they say is inside the scope of the show. But one of the things that is generally outside of our scope is um, a, a conversation around adoption as a system um, yeah. and like the processes by which adoption happens and what people want to happen, right? That I think that as adoptees continue to find their voice and the internet allows for the continual amplification of that, then, yeah. you know, I mean, there's feelings all over the place about like, so what do we do about international adoption? And it's so interesting. And I think that you've provided, your story provides such an interesting mirror and inversion, um, maybe foil actually is the better word, uh, for kind of the other side of it in a way that that the particular intersection that makes you, you, allows us, I think, to begin to have um, a broader conversation, right? That, that we have yeah. an adoptee who people like you or people who, um, who like Jennifer, have uh, adopted themselves and who are adoptees, right? That it yeah. allows us to have a broader and more nuanced conversation, sure. you know, and not that we're ever really going to get things right, but be like, what's the, at least a better way forward? Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's really interesting and, and I'm so, so grateful that you are willing to come onto the show, um, and, and just share that part of you. That is a hard thing and it is kind of a rare thing. You're certainly, you're not the only one that I know, um, who, who's had a, a situation like that, but, um, yeah, it's, it's not, um, not a common situation, you know, Definitely so not. That, uh, that I can feel really lonely on top of a, n- a number of other intersectional ideas identities and experiences that can also feel and you're like it can't just be me but it feels like it's just me yeah yeah um so i'm curious then how does that or does that really change um how you interact with the kind of other greater asian adopted community and and how you enter into those spaces does that like I don't know. Does that like, I mean, it has to play some, but does it like, is that one, one of their like barrier things? Are you like, no, I'm, I'm okay. Like this is the reality of who I am and I've made my peace with it. I'm ready to have these conversations. Or you're like, Ooh, I'm not ready to like get into that yet. No, I've never been able to get into that until recently. It's, yeah. I, I think that there's a level of embarrassment and guilt. Like I said, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard. It's like, you know, uh, will people look at me as a bad person? Cause I did that. Cause we all know what it feels like to be adopted. And there's so much baggage with that. There's so much, uh, there's so much that comes with it that how could you do that to somebody else in a way? And so mm-hmm. I've never, I've never talked about it with anybody actually really like this. So this is, uh, and I, I feel like it's necessary because what if I know there's people out there that have done it. I know there's adoptees mm-hmm. out there that have had that experience. And if, you know, to hear yourself, your story and somebody else is validating and it's healing, you know, and I think it's necessary. So to the whole process of everybody's experience is important. And I think this is just another facet of it. And I like the concept that you're broadening that perspective because that allows for a bigger conversation and for more, more conversations with folks. You know, so I mean, I don't know that three men are going to have any hot <laughs> takes that are worth listening to about giving birth, but <laughs> no birth takes here. Well, Nathan's been there, but I, yeah, I mean, I'm on the other side of it, watching my wife right. go through it three t- three times, and I, and all I can say is that it, I can't imagine, you know, what what uh, 
how hard it is, number one, to, to do what you did as well. And, um, you know, I, I, I still commend you for doing it because it's what yeah, at the time was, was best. And, uh, um, it's, yeah, I mean, it was best in the minds of all of our, you know, biological parents at the time that, that it happened to us. And so, you know, they all made their choices yeah. and we all will see uh, what happens in the future. So, yeah. um, can't, uh, you know, it, I know there's there's all kinds of feelings that uh, that I'm sure are even hard for you to express to uh, three men <laughs> as well, but uh, um, but yeah, I, I, it's uh, I'm hoping that uh, from what you just said too that the story can get out, and that if anyone else hears it who has had similar yeah. um, uh, situations, that uh, yeah, maybe they they can reach out and uh, and connect with you, and or maybe they're going through the same thing and they're you know, pregnant, thinking about the same thing as well. I mean, there, there could be all kinds of situations out there. So absolutely. But yeah, appreciate, yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Just affirming everything that they said about, um, just the vulnerability that it takes to be able to talk about this and especially for you to come on to this show, uh, and share it, uh, which will then go public, you know? And so those one-on-one -on -one conversations will become a little bit more, less intimate i guess uh, on the approach because now that's out there uh yeah. so i commend you for that bravery um i also do think as you said i like that you i like that you come out of the gate saying that this is necessary um because something i think that's really interesting on the show is when we have a guest on who's maybe not shared their story before we'll hear they'll say you know, I don't really know what I have to offer to the conversation or I don't really know. I don't really know how what what part of my story is important. You know, why is somebody going to listen to me talk about it? Right. And I like that you say that you just kind of know instinctively that this is a unique situation that you've been in, uh, even particularly for an adoptee and that it's not it's very uncommon and people need to hear it because we don't hear stories like that, um, regardless yeah. of where we fall on the spectrum of what we think about adoption or where our views are of it at the end of the day we can never make progress for ourselves as adoptees unless we understand that full spectrum that full spectrum that broader scope of what yep. those different experiences are and the nuance between all of our different experiences because we all experience it differently whether or not we fall within the same trending lines Absolutely. Uh, as a broader story so yeah i hope that anybody listening to this understands that we have to be able to understand all of these different stories and that we have to be willing to sit and listen and, and, and hear each other out and then go from there. We don't all have to agree on anything. Absolutely. We don't have to agree on anything at all. But the whole purpose of this whole practice of life is to learn how to be able to listen to each other and to empathize and, and if not be able to understand, be willing to try. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, of course. Thanks for giving me this opportunity and this platform. I thought that was very cool. Yeah, we uh, this show was born out of a need to discuss the gray areas of identity, um, those intersections. And so you uh, coming on here and telling your story enhances the playing field. Uh, it gives us more gray area to wrestle with. Um, and and that's I mean, that's like at the end of the day, that's what we want to do is um, provide nuance and provide um like literally put flesh in the game by, yeah. by having people tell their stories, right? That it goes back from being statistics, back from being history, back from being to like 
literal flesh and blood, right? That these are real people that we're dealing with. These are real stories. These are these are the nuances that we have to wrestle with when we're trying to figure out who we are and how to, how the best to be human. And um, part of being human is eating. So we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to eat some Korean food. Before we do that, though, Maki, where can people find you on the internet? On the internet, on the interwebs. Uh, I am on Instagram. Um, my handle is at Maki Doolittle, M-A-K-I-D-O-O-L-A-T-T-L-E. Um, super glad I didn't become a doctor. <laughs> Or, or yeah were you planning in any way to get any type of higher level degree well I, <laughs> I you said that you're going into your third degree but like i was did you ever reach that status i was thinking about my phd and i was having that conversation with my mom and my, my mom said yeah that's a great idea and i'm like no i would literally be dr doolittle and she was like yeah she's like i didn't even think about that I'm like how how could you not just get a bunch yeah. of master's degrees the whole brand of your life yeah <laughs> or you could be a sushi chef i am a chef <laughs> you, you are a chef i am oh. a chef so, so we didn't oh, nice. even right, get we're into gonna, that we're gonna have to yeah we're gonna have to get <laughs> into yeah. that in our we're next gonna get portion. that in a second in our food we're portion. gonna take a break we'll be right back okay Welcome back. We are back. Thank you so much, Maki, for that incredible interview. Sorry, Chef Doolittle, for that incredible <laughs> interview. Um, yeah, so we didn't get into it, so we're getting into it right now. You're a chef? Yeah. I thought That's you were going to blow cool. right past what that. Does that I would, nope. be like, what does that mean <laughs> yeah, what, what in do you your life? I don't know do you what cook? chefing What is means. your specialty? Yeah. So many questions. Uh, I... I don't really have a specialty. I like to cook it all, but I, I definitely like to do uh, like Asian fusion food, but not in the sense like where you go to, you know, those restaurants that really try to cater to the American tongue and just try to oh, American. Oh, so not like Panda Express. Yeah, no, 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 no. no. for you. <laughs> not no, a, no, no, not, not trying to Americanize Asian food, but trying to get creative with it and create different um, ways to deliver it, right? So um, there's a restaurant Korean actually tacos. here in Portland called Toki, and there's a really, there's a nice fine dining Korean restaurant called... Um, uh, Han Oak and the owner, the executive chef of that went and opened Toki. And it's like, just like, like one of the dishes is like, um, it's a bao bun and inside of it is literally like a double cheeseburger. It's like one of the best things. Whoa. Whoa. I know. What? what in the way? And where and is this? Wow. A legit. That's like the savory like version it. of like mochi ice cream. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. That's amazing. And it's That's... phenomenal. He does a, a Korean fried chicken sando and it's like, the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. Like it is so fucking perfect. Like it's amazing. That's amazing. You know, Toki means bunny. Yeah. There's a Do they song. Have bunny that rabbits sing. everywhere there. <laughs> no, no, there's no bunny <laughs> rabbits. But that was the one song that I remembered when I came over from Korea that I sing all the time was uh San Toki San Toki. Toki Toki, yeah. 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 That's all I <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't even remember that. All I know is Santoki. That's it. That's all I remember. That's all I remember from the time that I learned it in like middle school. And I was like, I'm learning children's songs. <laughs> I thought Asian-ness was cool. This is childish. So. But yet, here you are still remembering it. Exactly. Yeah. Memory from 16 years old. That's pretty good. <laughs> what? Were you 16 years old in middle school, Nathan? Wow. I don't remember. He what? says he's a slow yeah. reader. So. I was. I was in I tenth, was like, I was in tenth grade. I was driving. Remember? Oh, I don't that's know. Not middle we, school. That's, that's high school. school. 
That's high school. No, Actually, we, it might have been different. It was middle. We had high school as, sorry. 11, so 12. So our school was, yeah, 9, 10 was, was junior high, I guess is what they called oh. it. And then uh, yeah. high school was No, I mean 10, proper uh, middle 11, school. Yeah, yeah. Six, middle school, middle yeah, school. 6, like, 8. Do you th- six, seven, nine. I also said eight. sixth grade. So I was like, were you six, 16 eight. in sixth grade? No. So like, <laughs> college or high school? No. <laughs> I was, I may have been driving. Yeah. That's really funny. <laughs> I drove but, myself to sixth grade. <laughs> I'm gonna try that uh, cheeseburger and a bow. Oh I my know, gosh! Still thinking that about got me real hungry, real fast. The food right, well, is phenomenal. That's incredible. Well, we so hope probably less good. Yeah, than, um, <laughs> yeah. But I don't even want to do this still anymore. Still interesting, Patrick. What are we eating today? Uh, today we are eating pushu pushu from Otogi. 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 We've Bulgogi had this flavor. flavor before. Okay, I was going to say, yeah. have we tried well, this before? I don't no. remember. We've had this snack I don't think before. we had this flavor. I don't think we had this flavor. I yeah. don't remember. So we, we had, had the Bulgogi flavor. Pushu Pushu, though. Yeah, Maki, what flavor do you have? So they did not have Bulgogi, but I got spicy rice cake and barbecue flavor. Just to be safe, Ooh. I got both. So those sound great. Interesting. I want to say we had the barbecue flavor. You did? Okay. Yeah, Maybe. I yeah, know. I don't remember. I, actually, I do not remember, but I do remember essentially you open the package, there's a little, like a ramen, there's a spice packet inside, and then you sh- you open the spice packet inside, and then you shake it up to mix it around. Oh, wow. And, shake and bake. So, yeah, there's, there's, so essentially, yeah, yeah minus it's essentially the a shake it's exclusively and bake shake. style. I don't know if I said this last so time, but this is like... Be careful when you open it, because if you open it uh, too crazy, then you might Last time, not be able Patrick to shake literally it. punched a hole through yeah, his Yeah, I do remember that. He just went full I don't remember. It, I like, remember this it. snack, but I don't remember eating it. I feel like you dropped it onto the ground and just smashed it a bunch of times. It does say, don't boil it, smash it on the front. Yeah, so we had he, this with Julia Blake from yeah. Hello Korea Box. Um, so yeah, see the little. Uh, it looks essentially looks exactly like a ramen yeah. seasoning Oops. packet. So I feel I'm gonna be very careful here. I feel like this is like if I I wanted like flaming hot Cheetos, but it's this is making me do the work of putting the flaming is hot it? on the cheese. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm like, wow. and then you break it up a little bit, and then you sh- shake it to. You shake it to mix the seasoning in. Goodness. I have to say, there's something genius about Korean snacks or Asian snacks. Like it's just the the presentation, the delivery is just phenomenal. They do a good job, and yeah, uh, and I think it's just it's it's exciting because it's different for me. I, I'm I'm yeah. all. I'm all about trying new. It's yeah, canon. you're like, forget you, Cheez-Its. It's canon if it says new on it. Nathan is purchasing Yeah, it. if it says new, I'll eat it and I'll buy it. So even when, you know, even when it's something that I'm pretty sure I know what it's going to taste like. So do you guys in your respective cities have like Asian delivery grocery, like grocery delivery services? I don't even know what oh that my means. Goodness. So there's a- actually, I don't know. I haven't been back. Like, I haven't lived in Dallas for ten years, so I don't know if oh, that might exist. Okay. It. it does not exist. But it's specifically know, Asian new. market delivery. Yeah. So um, there's a company oh. here called We W E E E, and they do Asian and they. So it's called We. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but one of their advertisements recently was for uh, it was Lay's. Wait, was it Lay's or Pringles? But it was one of those brands, and it was a. Cherry blossom sake flavor. I was like, okay. Oh, probably Lay's. They've been right? pushing out tons of yeah, new flavors. Lay's push out like all kinds flavors of flavors too. That's pretty cool. Stuff. 
Um, so did yes, you guys I, ever oh, eat, yeah. Did you guys ever eat ramen raw growing up as a kid? Yes. Nathan did. Yeah. yeah I did. I loved but, it. Um, yeah, because um, on salads specifically, like a mm. specific salad, oh, and then you yeah. sprinkle it on top, like mm. a you know, like a like a crouton, or you know, but yeah, I used to just just right straight out of the bag, just yeah. like this. So the one thing is, I recall, and I, I'm I'm having that uh, memory again now, is that my my uh, review of this was that it doesn't taste like regular raw ramen. It actually tastes more mm-hmm. like a chip in a ramen noodle look look alike. Really? Um, to me, like I feel mm. like it's got more crunch to it, and not like mm-hmm. if you eat raw ramen, it almost is like too starchy or too you know or too oh, too crunchy like and stale noodle. kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas this one crunches like a chip. Yeah. And mm. so I think they did that on purpose so that you know it was more appetizing. Um, and I like that. So wonder what would it still gives you that that feeling of like you're eating ramen. Yeah. But it, but not like a spoiled stale ramen. <laughs> what would happen? Do you think if you tried to boil it, do you like stuck it and tried to make it like ramen? Mm. I bet it would dissolve. Yeah, that, that's just my my theory. Really? Yeah, I think it would just like melt I don't together. Know. I, I, who knows? I haven't actually tried it. I'm gonna try it. You're gonna try it right now. Nice. About two. Yeah. <laughs> you are going against minutes. the grain. It says right there, do not boil. No. <laughs> I'm a rebel. The, the little guy with the hammer. Who's got red hair and blue Go- shoes? Goggles <laughs> and goggles because he doesn't want it to get into his eye because we all know. This is good, but he doesn't have the goggles spice on. In the eye. So that stuff is, and he's clearly about to smash. So that stuff is flying right into his eyeballs. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> danger. Okay, it's like when you would uh, wear a mask but wear it around like your chin. Very exciting. Yeah. Very dangerous. It's like, it nose. is supposed to. Uh, yeah, it's. No, it's like around your chin, like a like a chin strap. It's oh, a good luck. There are so many people that would do that. I'm like, why? Why would you? I mean, I get that you're technically wearing a mask, but at that point, just like put it around your arm. Take it off. <laughs> so I have to say, it smells more like bulgogi than tastes like. Than it tastes like bulgogi. Yeah, this is tastes yeah. like now, ramen to me. I'm not getting real strong flavor. No flavor. Yeah. Mine's pretty mild. This is pretty flavorful. The barbecue. Mm-hmm. But. I'm, uh, I feel like barbecue flavor always packs a punch, though, mm-hmm. which actually might be why I don't like it. It's predominant. I agree. You, wait. Yeah. You live in Texas and you don't like barbecue? I don't like barbecue flavor. Uh, yeah. Barbecue flavor itself chips. is baller. Agreed. Barbecue flavored things, no, I don't care as much. Okay, I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm on the same boat of it as that. So. Nice. I'm, I'm just like, like if you can put it in my mouth, I'll eat it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Okay, Patrick. I might not like it. But I'll eat it still. <laughs> yeah. Actually, here, here's the question. It's Has like Patrick you've heard already the cat finished? Thing, if it fits, it sits. Like, if it fits in Patrick's mouth, he eats it. Did he already finish it? Oh. So that's the other this thing. This is too much to oh. finish. There's so, so much. No. There's so much. Yeah, I know. Mm. Patrick I is say, the, though, the one bite test where he'll try to yeah. just down the entire thing. Um. So this, the packaging on this is accurate to its size. It's one serving size is one package, and it's 420 calories. Most ramen packets... Uh, it's two servings per packet. So yeah. I appreciate that this one is a little more straightforward Ooh. in its nutrition packs. Oh, 420 calories. Yeah, it's got more calories <laughs> than I yeah. expected and less sodium than I expected. That's still oh, a lot. Oh, my God. It. It's still a lot, but I actually, yeah. for some bags of chips, they're, they're even higher than that. Oh, so. God, yeah. Oh, I'm going to compare this 
Real quick, I'll be right back. Keep Nathan's got to have his sodium cows 200% levels. It does not have MSG. It does not have MSG, which is surprising. Yeah, it's surprising. It does have green tea extract, though. But that's important. We've noticed that in a lot of things, actually. That like green really? tea, would have it. Yeah, mm. there's a lot of green flavorings and stuff too. Oh, that's significantly less sodium. What? Then, then what you're looking at? Yeah. So I, I sent, I, I still have oh, this uh, volcano chicken noodle ramen that you sent us. Yeah, man, that stuff and, is good. Uh, I wish I had more. It's. This one is like almost 1,300 milligrams of sodium, yeah. whereas <laughs> the pushu pushu is 880. <laughs> Jesus! So, My yeah. God, Maki, you don't know this yet, but Nathan likes it salty. <laughs> Do you want ramen? Well, here's a ball of salt. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> I salt my salt lick. <laughs> yeah, he's just a like, salt lick by his bed. Just, <laughs> all right, good night, Allison. It's a little lick of salt. I won't lie. I walked past the salt lick one time in Oklahoma, and I almost wanted to lick it. Okay. Would not do the show with you. Actually, would do the show with you, but a different show all about salt. Because that's where that story belongs. Yeah. If you would have licked it. Have you seen Salt Fat Acid Heat? Mm hmm. Yeah. Their first first episode, isn't that. Mm hmm. They go to Japan. Oh, Japan. for the salt right. episode. Yeah, it's so good. It's amazing. It's actually really quite fascinating. Wait, what is it? That now. was actually what I've got moved on. Oh, I got bored. Oh snap! Yeah, that, that, was, that um, stuff was too much. You need a little something savory and something sweet. Actually, that's a good idea. Maybe we should, maybe we should do that too. Maybe we should do two snacks on this. <laughs> I mean, we can do that. Where's the, the other snack? Up. What's the other snack? It's the jelly. She got the jelly thing. Uh, Sarah's. I'm gonna have to yogurt jelly. I can't yeah, find that anywhere. Right, I'm gonna go grab it again. I want to see what I'm it looks like. Though. It looks like they're just little balls. It's not actual jelly. Okay. Okay. So the, I went to H Mart and I got this awesome, like you know, the drinks in the pouches. I know. And, I you saw know, like, on your Instagram. Like you Sorry. Those are so good. There's. Nice. I was like, oh, it's done because it's just a little pouch. I'm like, oh, it's done. That so this good. is gummy peach flavor. Hold on, time out. This is good. Bro, let's yeah. rate. Let's really quickly yeah, rate, rate the pushu oh, pushu yeah, right. before okay. we move on to the next mm. pack. <sighs> Since we have had pushu pushu before, we should yeah. Reva, I could, if you, you could back to it. You could hold a gun to mine, and I could not tell you what I rated it last time. Mm. <laughs> I was just sitting here trying to think of it the entire time. Could not tell you. Did you just hold a gun up. To I'm going to say it was pretty high. I'm. I'm. I mean, I'm just jumping in because it. I think it's good. It's what I remember it. I'll give it a four and a half out of five. <laughs> he wanted to say five oh. so bad that he dropped yeah. down to four. Four and a half five. out of five. Okay. Yeah. I say it's pretty good. I could eat this all day. I, I mean, as a snack. This is like a chip snack. Just watching. I don't TV. know that I could eat this all day. Yeah. No. <laughs> but I could eat this for a long time of day. So also four and a half out of five. Wow. Um, you guys are generous. Yeah. I'm going to give it a. Th- we're generous until we're not. <laughs> I'm going to give it a 3.75. Uh, I think I'm knocking it because mine doesn't have very much flavor and I just can't for the life of me remember what the last time we did it. Um, And also, I feel like I smashed mine into such tiny pieces that it was like I just have to drink it almost. So I'd rather have just like a chip that's not so small. So if this was more chip size, that would be cool. Mm -hmm. 3.75. Maki? Okay. I give it like a 1.75. Whoa! Whoa. She hates it! 
Hey, pew, 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 she's pew. the chef. She's the chef. This right? just in. She hates it. <clears throat> it's it's, and, it's yeah. too much work. It's not the flavor is is it just literally tastes like you did open up one of those like um seasoning flavor packets for ramen and dumped it on it. It's it's there's not a lot of com- I like the crunchiness of it, but that's about it. There's not a lot of complexity, obviously. It's not like a wow valid review. Very very valid. <laughs> that's an honest yeah, review, that's but honest. I do want to let you know that that whole thing has been bleeped out. So just to save us for sponsorship reasons, only for sponsorship reasons. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm totally kidding. kidding. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm do that. totally kidding. I'm like, holy shit. Okay. I have. Like, uh, we only yeah. give everything good reviews. No kidding. We I have made <laughs> way worse comments about products. You gave it an honest That's review. True. I've called stuff by yeah. the way it looked. Not so great. Yeah. <laughs> and on, on top of that, we've never talked about murky water. Too. So sometimes some of us say four and one of us will say one or two. two. So, yeah. We've okay. had some twos. We've so, had some twos. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. think they have all been given by me. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> we haven't really picked anything too out of the norm, but yeah, we knows, go for the maybe, home runs. <laughs> maybe these yogurt jellies will be the, the next one. The choco so, pies. The. <laughs> <laughs> yogurt so we jelly went, time so we went with the salty one and now we're gonna what? go with some oh, sweet I thing this. I, was, I was like I was okay like, what? no like, this you is see the packaging? this is like these little things that look like i don't even want to what do they look like they look like jars of jelly with a peach flavoring on the inside but they're gummy okay i want to yeah. see i want to see what you're because i didn't get that i couldn't so, find that for the listeners at home, it's like this beautiful, really cute pink pastel and then like light yellow flavor. Yeah. With a big old sweet peach on the front. The Korean says, yogurt jeri. And then it says, boksung amat. So I don't know what that means, but I know the first part means yogurt jelly. Ah. We are going yeah. from 38% sodium to 1% sodium. So, nice. That is excellent, man. So Nathan my will probably not like it. No, see, I'm also a sweet tooth. Oh, this oh. smells like this smells. I like, like both savory and good. sweet. It's the things wow. in the middle that I am. Um, they do know, look like little jars. Well, of let jelly. me see. Let me see. I have to say, my oh, how son. How cute is that? My son has come into my room multiple times and grabbed this and said, "Can you open this? Can you open this? Can you open this?" So has Sarah. What? So he's wanting. They're like samesies. Yeah, he wants this thing so bad. So I'm surprised he's not bashing in here right now to get. I these. popped so, the top mm. of my jelly jar uh, Ooh, to get out <laughs> to get into the jelly, but it's solid. The jelly's oh, still solid. Inside. So the picture of it dripping on the front is false advertising. <laughs> that's disappointing. Okay. Yeah, I'm not gonna uh, do that. That's pretty. Pretty classic for Korean advertising. Well, I can. It yeah. looks one way and is not the same. Well, I can't even get this out. I feel like I'm just it's pushing bowl, it down. Okay, I was gonna say. I feel gummy. like I feel like there may be some hollowness in there. I'm doing it with my tongue, but I feel like if I got any closer to the camera, it would be NSFW for the YouTube viewers. Uh, so you're gumming. The- you're <laughs> you're <laughs> gumming the gummy. So I just shoot it. Great. Well, I wasn't gonna say that, that out loud, Nathan. Well, that's a musical term. Well, yeah. Our listeners. I'm, I'm visualizing it and I wish I wasn't. Yeah, Patrick <laughs> used to be Patrick used to play the brass. So. It's okay, I play uh, the flute. Uh, is tonguing a, a woodwind technique as well? No. Tonguing is not right. a woodwind technique. Well, I mean, I don't know. Wait. I can't speak for like clarinet players and oboe players, but okay. not for flutes. It's a, it's a French right. technique. Yeah. That's what I heard. Again, <laughs> why they're sexier. <laughs> 
<laughs> on another note, I'm, these are good. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. say, yeah, these are pretty tasty. Mm-hmm. I'm, All right. It's a gummy. It's mm-hmm. peach flavored. It's got a really pretty even flavor to it as well. Like, it's not like too artificial to me. I love that. It does taste really natural. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the same thing as you guys, but. Oh, I yeah. Love the, oh, yeah. What do you have? You have a Japanese candy. You have that one that looks a like pink a peach. peach butt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like what the Georgia peaches want to look the, yeah. the peach emoji. That's this. It's jealous. Of it this, is jealous. This pink artwork. I'm but it's delicious. I love I love the the feeling, the texture of these kind of candies. Mm-hmm. The jelly, the squishy. Really good. Yeah. Squishy. Right. So this one is made, like the one that we have is made by Vilac. No, V I L A C Vilak. Yeah, I have no idea what that Vilak. Brand is. Body Diva. What's the brand of yours? I have. It's all. There's not it's a single. Korean. There's no English. On no here, English, except for the no. nutrition. Okay. But yeah. Great. How would you rate yours, Maki? Out of five, yeah, I'd say like a for this candy, I'd, I'd rate it like a four, four, four and a half out of four five. Four out of five. Yep. I agree. Four is a good one. Four out of five. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going four. They're growing on me. I'm. I better save some for my son. Out of the race, he's gonna be really mad. Nice. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say two and three quarters. Really? Hot takes. I don't this know. Here's the deal. I don't know if I could finish this, and I've only had like maybe three. I'll eat them. Um. Because they're super sweet, and so it's making my tummy hurt. Uh, Spoiling my dinner. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so for listeners of the show, uh, they know I'm not a huge sweets person. Um, I'm sure sick. Sarah will love them. I also don't, like, I like gummies, but I don't love gummies. Uh, and so this is just, like, hmm. not really, it's, like, a really high-quality <laughs> gummy, but gummies are still just not where I want to be. I love I gummies. Be gummies is not where so, you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that's not what I want to be ingesting. Like I'd rather have a third bag of Pushu Pushu. Wow. I'll trade you. Like finish the yogurt. I'll trade you my Pushu Pushu for your. All right, man. Yeah. Just come on by. (laughs) However, the other false advertising is it doesn't taste a thing like yogurt. So I don't know why it's called. That's what is weird. The yogurt is a little uh, like another. It does have yogurt powder in it. But that's about it. But it's so almost like you can see yogurt-y. there's a color it's not in there. Yogurt-y. That's what the yogurt's supposed to be, but I think that's an illusion. Yeah. But it's still pretty tasty. I love Gummy anything Sally Candy. Bears. All right. Well, um, that has been Pushu Pushu and Yogurt Jelly with Maki Doolittle. One more time, Maki, where can people find you on the internet so that they can tell you how great you were on this episode and also mm-hmm. say, I want to be friends. And also I can't believe you're getting a third degree and you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, they can find me on Instagram at Maki Doolittle, uh, M-A-K-I-D-O-O-L-I-T-T-L-E. Um, that's probably the best place to find me. Um, I'm on Facebook, but that's really more for my family. But Instagram is like that. your, your MySpace though. Yeah. That's cool. the same yeah, handle. Your MySpace? MySpace. Nice. Or your Friendster. Yeah. Your I never yeah. had a Friendster, but I, I definitely had. Uh, see, that's dating myself. What about your Apple music? <laughs> How, what about your Apple music account? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, seriously, that's, that's a thing. <laughs> Maki, just Maki Doolittle. The same thing. I love when people follow me and I love following other people so I can see all their playlists because I'm all about the playlist. I mean, I don't know if that's like a 90s thing, but so, I'm all I get about it. the playlist. 
Wait, I was also I mean, from the 90s, so yes, maybe it yeah, is a playlist that, thing. That's definitely, <laughs> yeah. like, playlists and mixtapes are a lost art, I will definitely say. Yeah, yeah. and I you know what, in, in the scheme of, like, love languages, like, if somebody sends me a playlist that they put together for me, ah, uh, yeah, that's so sweet. Okay, so is that yeah. above or below food for you, though? Uh, definitely you below. Because you said food was a love below. language. Definitely below okay. food, yeah. Food no is hesitation. No. <laughs> so, food is number one, and then playlists are, like, number five. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> Playlists are like Perfect. somewhere later, somewhere. Later. They're, I mean, they're there. Like they technically exist, and they're like above some other ones, but it's like five. So it's just yeah. Like a no, you probably, you're probably actually, yeah, you're probably all spot on with that. Yeah, it's because we're besties now. <laughs> yeah. We kicked each other, and now we're besties. That's what it is, right? That's what we do on the show. We become best friends with our guests. Yep. By the, the end course of, of the, an episode. Yeah, by the end of the episode. <laughs> That's the John Chi promise. <laughs> just kidding. That's we would never. I love that. it. Well, we already did. So we promised to be your friend. Well, yeah, here's the deal. If you want to see if you can become best friends with the John Chi boys uh, in the course of an episode, you can reach out to us at John Chi Show at just like, wait. Yeah, John Chi, no, John Chi Show at justlikemedia.com. That's the email. Otherwise, it's at John Chi Show everywhere else. I haven't done this in a minute. I apologize. I'm a little rusty. Um, You can hang out with us on our Facebook group. Uh, the John Show After Party. You can support the show at johnchishow.com slash support. And you can find me at KJ Relke, wherever I want to be found. I know that this is coming out like much later than we're recording, but as of tomorrow, I'm supposed to have some new music come out. So uh, you can find me on Spotify as well. Still KJ Relke. What? All right. What? That's awesome. Dude, that's cool. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at nowalkphoto. And you can find me on Twitter as of today, which is probably four weeks from today, Whoa! at Parmesan Twitter. Strong. Parmesan, <laughs> Parmesan That is my Twitter handle. Parmesan Strong. Tell me that's legitimate. Look it up. I'm not going to tell you if it's legit or not. You have to find out for yourself. I'm fact checking. You have to find out for yourself. Okay, let's close it up. Just kidding. But seriously, though, that and you know where you can find me at on Instagram already because I've said it too many times. <laughs> um but yeah it's not real maki thank you so much for coming on the show for oh, eating I did, with I did us sign up on my computer it for, is real for buying all the snacks that, <laughs> that patrick yeah i'm gonna you, have to definitely come to back buy. for another one because i need to review yes. all of these other snacks so i'll put them in all a bag right. we'll save them we'll come back well that sounds nice. good <laughs> thanks for having okay. me on the show thanks guys <clears throat> yeah no thank yeah, you thank you for joining us sorry i was trying to download twitter onto my phone so i <laughs> Real quick. It was taking too long. It was taking too long. (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) we will see you next week. Until then, Johnchi Heyo. Goodbye.